Okay, good evening everyone. We're about to start the new learning of the Torah and Parsha in my life. Um, I think we're on our 12th year, or 11th. I think we're on our 12th year. So this is really exciting. Um, this week is Parsha's Noach. And um, next week I'm not going to be in town to give the Parsha in my life class. So I want to do a, a kind of blend for Noach and Lech Lecha. So to give us fuel for two weeks. Um, I want to speak about a theme that relates to Parsha number two and Parsha number three. Parsha Noach Bereshus was last week, but we kind of had Yom Tiv until Wednesday, so until Tuesday night, so we couldn't have that class. So let's um, talk about the numbers one, two, and three, primarily two and three and its significance. Parsha Noach is, this, is the second Parsha in the Torah, and it's a harsh Torah portion dealing with um, the flood and the uh, horrible devastation that the flood caused or caused. And uh, but then we begin the Parshas Lech Lecha, which is uh, in Chas, uh, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe said, is a Lecha Parsh. It's the real happy Parsh. So we move into Parshas Lech Lecha. Now the significance of Parshas Lech Lecha. In many ways, what makes it so 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 a happy parsha is that it is the third parsha, and number three is a very important number in Judaism. And number three is a very important number in creation. Number three represents the world of tikkun, and everything is about tikkun. And what's exciting about the year that we're in right now, which I really want to talk about about tonight is that there are two very significant numbers that are related to this year. And that is both the number three and also the number eight. So this year is significant, and both of them are messianic numbers. They're both related to, to the future. Um, I, in the shir before, before Rosh Hashanah, the Parsha in my life shir before Rosh Hashanah, I spoke about the significance of 5780 that we just entered in, Tavshin Pei, 5780. And um, the power of number eight, that the number eight takes us into a whole new realm, into the realm of the infinite, to the realm, the supernatural, beyond nature, what is infinite, what is boundless. We enter into a complete different existence. I was just looking on the news um, last week, or just three days ago, this came out. Google announced that they began what they call the process of quantum computing. And the significance of quantum computing is that basically it's going to take computer and the, the abilities of computer-generated uh, phenomenon, generated things, um, to a whole new level, exponentially greater than anything we've had before. I find it very, very interesting that it was released, it was the first test that was done, that was successful, is as soon as we hit and we entered into 5780. Because we're in a different ballpark now. And it's very, very significant that the computer age is taking such a such, an, such a quantum leap. 
Like if we can understand the difference of how life was till 1990, and then when the World Wide Web came on and how it changed our lives, and it ushered in, it ushered in the information age, we can probably say that now, with this invention or this opening up of this new means of computing, we're getting into the super information age, uh, which represents the idea that the infinite is beginning to, to become manifest in the world, which is what Torah has always been saying, that the day will come when we will reveal in the world the divine light that's in the world, which is beyond nature, with beyond limitation, beyond time and space. And not only will we reveal the divine, we will reveal the infinite element of the divine. Because divine itself, as we'll soon see, has two dimensions, the dimension of number seven and the dimension of number eight. In a sense, again, these are just my thoughts, that quantum computing, just to appreciate the scope, just to appreciate the sco scope of what I'm talking about, about a quantum computing, so this is what they did. They ran a, a um, on this computer, it, this computer uses a different kind of language. Computers use whatever type of language they use. This is using a far more advanced and complex language, which enables it to do um, far greater um, um, complex calculations in ways that are like beyond anything we've seen. Just to appreciate what we're talking about, a problem that the fastest supercomputer existing today, okay, imagine in the Pentagon, some other place that they have the most advanced computers, things that us regular folks are many, many, many years away from accessing these stuff. But like the big, 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 super powerful, whatever, have these computers. Military, they need it. The fastest computer would take, oh, let's, let's understand the meaning of this, 10,000 years to calculate. So you put it in, and the computer would start crunching numbers. And it would take a double the amount of time of recorded history. Okay? The Torah, we, we're 5,700, and the world is standing. 50, close to 5,800. Double that amount of time. That means from the day you were born till today is nothing compared to your great-grandmother back, back, back then, way back down to 1,500, to 1,400, to 1,300, the days of Rashi. <laughs> The days of the base Amigdash were standing, that computers were set and started doing it. I'm talking 10,000 years ago. <coughs> it would finally give you the conclusion now. It would figure it out if we would have had those computers back then. It would take 10,000 years to, the, to give this result. Well, their computer, that they, this new computer language, does that mathematical calculation in 200 seconds. Understand what we're talking about? That's less than two minutes. That's the leap that we're talking. And in 10 years from now, such computer technology will be already probably available in, 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 in everyday use for people and for whatever it is. 
where that's going to take humanity, where that's going to open up the abilities for us to learn, to know, to have, whatever, it's like the mind can't understand like how far that's going to go. Now you can look at that just as an advance of technology, or one can tap into the spiritual meaning of that. Something new is opening up as we're hitting 5780. We're hitting the eights. We're hitting a whole new dimension. Number eight is like two circles. It's an infinite. It goes round and round and round. We're hitting the dimensions of the Ein Sof. And it's actually manifesting within time and space. You see, what's cool about the number eight is that the Torah, whenever the Torah, or many times the Torah speaks about the number eight, it doesn't refer to it as an eight. It refers to it as a seven and a one. It's a seven and a one. And it's referred to in the number ches. Ches is eight, I'm sorry. It's referred to in the word oz. And oz is a word related to the future. Oz is a word related to redemption. Because oz means then. When then, when everything will be completed. When everything will be finished. Then it's going to be then. And we Jews knew the secret of then from the beginning of time. So when God began to perform the miracles for the Jewish people in Egypt, and we began breaking this, this, this constricted world, and started downloading godliness, revealing God, and downloading higher aspects of the divine into the creation through the mitzvahs, what did, and that transcendental energy started to manifest in the world by doing miracles, we sang to God, and what did we sing? Our sing song was Uz, Uz Yashir Moshe, then Moshe sang. We begin with Uz, because Uz is number eight, the eighth dimension. But why not say Ches? What's the... Uz. Because the idea over here is not just number eight. The idea that is so significant and so powerful and so, so meaningful is number eight is not just the transcendental light, the infinite light, but the fusion of that infinite light into the creation. The drawing of that light down into the natural, into the natural existence. That to us it should be natural, the supernatural power. It should become so normal, it should become so much part of life. This super powerful energy and these abilities that transcend time and space. That's the meaning of us, Aleph and Zion. Zion is nature, Zion is seven. Seven is the natural world. Time and space is seven. Six directions, seven is the center. All space, seven. Seven days of the week. Seven continents, seven seas. Seven colors of the rainbow. Seven musical instruments. Seven nations in the land, not musical instruments, seven musical notes. Seven nations living in the land of Israel, which are the root of 70 nations. So everything is seven. And that's natural. Eight is the infinite, the supernatural. The word oz means that the supernatural, the aleph, 
that which is totally beyond nature is, is being drawn down and fusing with nature. It's being invested and, 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 and uh, so to speak, downloaded into the world. And that's why um, when did this eighth dimension start? When we went out of Egypt. And when we went out of Egypt, it was the year 2448. I mentioned that in the class before Rosh Hashanah. So it, was, it, it had a number eight to it. And then when the Torah was given, it was on the number eight, because we did a seven-week count as a preparation for the Torah. Was the Torah. For when we left Egypt, we did a seven-week count. And then on the eighth week, on the 50th day, which is the eighth week after 49 days, which is seven times seven, we hit this infinite light, and therefore the Torah was given. Same idea, Oz, because the Torah is not meant to be lofty above. When we study Torah, we're not elevated beyond creation and just become separated from the world. The whole beauty of the Torah is to invite this godly light into the world. So we permeate every nook and cranny of time and space, every alleyway, every little aspect, every, every narrow, narrow um, um, aspect of existence with this infinite power, with this infinite dimension of number eight. That's what the Torah is. So the Torah is also related to this Oz light, Aleph over seven, Aleph over Zion, Aleph imbuing and informing the Zion, informing the seven. Finally, when the Mishkan was built, when did God reveal himself in the Mishkan? In the tabernacle, also number eight. Because it says they did a seven-day preparation. They put up the tabernacle, took it down, put it up, took it down. When was on the eighth day, Hashem came down to the eyes of everybody. So the process of redemption, the process of fusion of God with the world, it's all related to number eight. But as much as we achieved and connected to number eight in early history, it was only a preview of the ultimate revelation of number eight, which is going to be in the end of time. Because how do we access number eight? How do we get the transcendental light and not only reach the transcendental, but draw that transcendental light to become part of creation, to become part of time and space? that the miraculous and the natural will, 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 will blend together till they'll become one. And almost to the point where we'll be natural to experience miracles. Where the world will not be rigid anymore with its rigidity and its limitness. So, when will that be fully manifest? When Mashiach will come. But the ability to get to that and to reach that point was from the, from the Torah that was given to us. So we saw number eight flashing by the giving of the Torah. We started the whole procedure with us, with revelations of the number eight, and then kind of it, 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 it goes into concealment. We don't see the number eight so much throughout history. It will emerge again. It will come out again in full power, in full light, in its full in its full energy by the coming of Mashiach, then it will be eight. So let's take a look and we will see and we will see that there are so many there are so many psukim 
that are talking about the future and the messianic um, 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 revelations, there are so many psukim talking about the future that begin with the word oz. So let me just quote a few of them. Oz tismach psula b'mocho. Then the girl will dance in a circle. It's talking about the future. Big dance. Who's the girl? The girl is the Shekhinah. Who's the Shekhinah? The source of energy within creation that is finally going to achieve fusion with her husband, which is the infinite transcendental light. Who is the Shekhinah? The Jewish people. All of us. We're all embedded godliness within the world. Oz tismach, then we, 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 will we rejoice, besula, the girl, b'machol, with a circle. When will we dance in a circle? Well, take a look at the number eight. The number eight is a never-ending circle. As we're moving, it's infinite, and it's going in that circle. But when is that going to happen? When Mashiach comes. Now, a circle represents the infinite. The circle never ends. So, us in the days of Mashiach, we will have joy, infinite joy, as we will dance in that circle. And that's why which day do we dance? On Sukkot, on the eighth day of Sukkot is when we start dancing really. We dance with the Torah in a circle, round and around. We go from the eighth to the ninth day, Shemini Atzeres in the eighth day. It's the holiday of the infinite. But it's the future. How about another verse? Then our mouths will be filled with laughter. Again, you have the word, when will we fill with laughter? Uz, then. Because our mouth will fill with laughter when this, when the revelation of the Aleph will be revealed in the seven. Then we will laugh. Then we have another verse. Uz then God says, I'm going to convert all the nations. There won't be any more klipa in the world. There won't be any more anything that obscures, everything that blocks, everything that is now anti-holy. Everything is going to be flipped over and is going to become an ally to holiness. All the nations of the world will gather together to serve one God. Then the nations will say, God has done great with the Jewish people. Uz, again, eight, number eight, one over seven. Uz Yiranenu Atsei Hayoar. Then they will sing the trees of the forest. When? When Mashiach will come, the trees in the forest will sing. So these are just some of the verses that are, begin with the word Oz, referring to the great laughter, joy, dance, singing, and most of all, the harp that we've used until throughout all of history, as we said earlier, only has seven strands, seven musical notes. And the sages say in the tractate Mesechtes Erechen, that when Mashiach will come, David HaMelech will play on a kinor, on a harp, 
shall shmoina nimen of eight strands. He will play on a harp of eight strands. What is the meaning of this harp? Now, we, will, we will have another musical note. Why? Because something from beyond nature will be revealed in the world and we will sing on a whole different level. So music will be enhanced. But it's much deeper than that. That's also us, the Aleph. It's the eighth. The eighth, the eighth strand on the Kinnor can't be, it's not just aligned with the other seven. It's one on its own. And it goes together with the seven. When we have that eighth note, it changes the very music of the seven other notes. Everything changes. But this eighth note that there is, what is the meaning? Why on the kinar? So let's understand something. Kinar is made up of the words chaf vav ner. Music is very powerful. Music is very strong. Why are people always drawn to music? Because music brings forth the hidden. Music reveals, it opens up. It gives expression. Expression that words can't express, music can express. So kinar, which is the harp, which is one of the oldest musical instruments, the Hebrew word for kinar is chavav ner. Chavav is the 626, which is yudke vavke, which is God's name, the tetragrammaton. Ner means a flame, a lamp. Kinar is the revelation. It's the ner, it's the revelation of ner Hashem, the illumination of the soul. Why is it that when you want to wake up a Jew's neshama, you can do many things, but the, the surest way to, to a person's neshama is through a powerful song, through a powerful nigan. Because the nigan, every yid, every Jew has got a chelek alakaim imal, Every single Jew is a little piece of Hashem, of Yudke Vavke. But it gets suppressed, it gets hidden, it gets, um, it gets covered up. And when you sing a song, it comes into shul, whether it's Kol Nidre, whether it's Yom Kippur, whether it's a happy Simchas Torah. The Nigin, Ner, it, it illuminates, the flame comes out, the soul bursts open. Chavav Ner. Chavav, 26, Yudke Vavke. Ner, it illuminates. So why was it when you came to the Bisa Migdash, they played with the Kinar? Why was it when you came to the temple, they played with the Kinar? And why was the Kinar out of seven strands? And why when Mashiach will come, will this very kinor be out of eight strands? The answer is, we just read last week in the parsha, Bereshis bara Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created. What's Elohim? Elohim is the force of God that constricts, that limits, that sets time and space into motion. Elohim is the power of gvura, of limitation. Creation was created from the external, limited energy of the divine that confines itself within time and space. That's Elohim. 
With that, we don't have music. There's no music for Elohim. That's nature itself. When you come to the Beis Amigdash, over there there is a revelation of what is beyond the name of Elohim. Yudke Vavke. Elohim is the source of time. Yudke Vavke, the tetragrammaton, is, we, is named Havaya, which represents Hoya Hoveviye, past, present, and future, beyond time and space. Where was that revealed? In the Beis Amigdash. That's why the Beis Amigdash was beyond time and space. So when you walked into the Beis Amigdash, you were experiencing the revelation of Yudke Vavke. And that's why the Beis Amigdash had Kinar, Chavav Mer, the Kinar, the musical harps that were playing, that were revealing Yudke Vavke. But in Yudke Vavke itself, there's two levels. Yudke Vavke is beyond time and space, but there's the Yudke Vavke that relates to creation. And there is the Yud, it's above creation but relates to creation. And then there is Yudke Vavke that is absolutely, infinitely beyond creation, beyond time and space, and no relationship at all with time and space. These two, and that's where we find when we daven, we say two times Yudke Vavke. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Bechanan. Yudke Vavke, Yudke Vavke, two times. And in between them, there's a line. In the Zohar, it's referred to Havaya de Latata, the lower Havaya, and Havaya de Leela, the, the, the supernal Havaya, the higher Havaya. So you got Elohim, then you have Yudke Vavke, and then you have Yudke Vavke. Now one of the differences between the lower Yudke Vavke, since the lower Yudke Vavke relates to time and space, and as I said earlier, the time and space is what? Number seven. Everything in time and space is number seven. So the lower Havaya relates to seven times, seven times Yudke Vavke. That's the Kinar made up of, that's the harp made up of Seven strands, seven musical notes. It brings music, it makes you happy because you're feeling free. You're breaking out of the constrictions of, of the daily grind, of daily living, of all the pressures that you have. You're coming to a place where can you sense a power that beyond time and space. Man, I made Sarkarasika. I need to get out of my constrictions. I want to be connected to you, God, and I feel I can connect to your powerful light in the base Amigdash. Seven times you Vavki. But when Mashiach will come, a much higher Yudke Vavke will be revealed, the eighth dimension. Now where do we see such a thing? That there is seven times Yudke Vavke and eight times Yudke Vavke. Where do we see this? Aside from in the Kinar. Well, we have the name Yaakov and Yitzchak. Let's take a look at the three forefathers we have, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. What's the difference? Let's focus on, this, on the latter two, Yitzchak and Yaakov. Yaakov, Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Beis, is 182, the gematria of his name. Yud, Ayin is 80. Kuf, Beis is 102. 102 plus 80 is 182. 182 is exactly, you can do the math, seven times Yud, Kevavke. So Yaakov is seven times Yudke Vavke. Then there's his father, Yitzchak. Yitzchak is Gematria 208. 
eight times Yudke Vavke. And that's laughter. Yaakov is also above nature. The Jewish people have always been above nature. Yaakov represents, however, the Jew as we're still struggling with nature. We're still struggling with refining and fixing and correcting. We're still in the midst of the process of tikkun, of tikkun olam. Tikkun olam means to fix olam comes from the concealment, to polish, to, 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 to remove the, 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 the husk, the, the, the thick things that are covering and obscuring God. We're working on that. Yaakov struggles. How is Yaakov struggling? He's holding on a cave Esav to the, to the heel of Esav as he's struggling with his brother Esav to bring some kind of a rectification into Esav and into the, into the world, into humanity. Esav is the leader of the 70 nations. Through the power of seven time, Yaakov has access to spirituality. Yaakov has access to a godly light that's higher than the world, like we see. What, give, what gives us our strength? What gives us our strength throughout our daily grime now that the winter is coming, a long stretch where we're not in the holidays? Shabbos. Every, we, we look forward for Shabbos. But what's Shabbos? Shabbos is number seven. It's the seventh day. So Shabbos represents Yudke Vavke. Elohim ends on Shabbos. Vayechal Elohim. Elohim comes to an end. We don't have anymore the concealments of the name of Elohim, the rigidity, the blocking, the concealments, the, 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 the veils and the curtains part. We can see a higher light on Shabbos. But it's number seven. But a Jew is really connected to something deeper than number seven. And that's the eighth dimension. But it's not something that we access every day, but we're empowered with that power. And that's the utterly transcendental. And that's the power of Yitzchak. And that's why Yitzchak was the first one who had the bris milah. And when did he have his bris milah? On the eighth day. The first person to have his bris milah on the eighth day was Yitzchak. Because Yitzchak is number eight. Because his name is eight times Yudke Vavke. Transcendental light, infinite light, completely beyond nature. The light of the future. The laughter of the future. Sof. A Jew has his bris milah, a baby boy, on his eighth day. That gives him then the back in the background. We don't have a bris every day. Every day we're struggling. We're in the outer world of Elohim. We need to recharge once a week. We run for Shabbos. We grab onto Shabbos. The light of number seven. That too is powerful. But what happens when there's a baby boy that needs his bris milah on Shabbos? Because the eighth day for when he was born is Shabbos. The baby's born on Shabbos, so his eighth day is going to be the next Shabbos. And you're not allowed to do cutting on Shabbos. Cutting of flesh is forbidden on Shabbos. Letting blood is forbidden on Shabbos. But yet we will make the cut, we will make the bris on Shabbos. Why? Because once the eighth is, the, is revealed, the holiness of Shabbos becomes like weekday. The holiness of Shabbos pales. It's almost considered weekday. It's, there's almost no difference between, number, between the first six and seven compared to number eight. The brightness of number eight completely dismisses number seven. It is so powerful. It is so great. That's number eight. The eighth dimension. So, the Jewish people during the long exile we relate to our father Jacob. If you take a look at Yaakov Avinu, we see that he was the one who struggled with the world. 
struggling, struggling. His brother, his brother Esau, his uncle Lavan. He's working. He's working. He's being cheated. He's being. He's he's, he's robbed. He's threatened. He's 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 threatened with with a mighty for. They, they're gonna and, and they, 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 he was gonna kill him. His brother. He's injured by. Yaakov goes through all the trials and tribulations because Yaakov represents the neshama in, invested in this world needing to do tikkun. Because Yaakov doesn't have the energy of eight revealed in him. He only has the number. Because if he would have too much light in him, if Yaakov would have Yitzchak's energy, he would blow all the klipas away in one second and the world would not be fixed. The world would be destroyed. So Yaakov can't have that light turned on. That light has to... He has it because Yaakov also had his bris on the eighth day. But it's kind of, it's, 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 it's concealed. And he's working only with the power of number seven. He's working with the harp, with the nair, with the kinor, chavav nair, with the six, with the, with the nair, with the lamp of the of seventh dimension. Seven times yutke vavke. The lower yutke vavke, not the higher yutke vavke. But when Yaakov is done the tikkun, and what does it mean to be done the tikkun? What does it mean to be done the tikkun? To be done the tikkun means that Yaakov finishes correcting all the dimensions of seven. When he finishes the rectification of the seven, and he's done, then what does Yaakov say? What is Yaakov's prayer? When Yaakov was going out to Haran, when Yaakov was going out to Mesopotamia, what was Yaakov praying? Yaakov said, if only God, you'll take care of me. You'll protect me. You'll give me bread. You'll watch over me. And then I will come back. I will return in peace to my father's house. What does it mean Yaakov wants to come back to his father's house? Yaakov wants to come back to number eight. Yaakov wants the revelation of Mashiach. That's his father's house. That's Yitzchak's house. That's why, what did we say earlier? What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? When we finish the tikkun of the seven? What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? When we're finished and completed the tikkun of the seven? The eighth dimension will be revealed. And what does the Pasik say? Oz yemolei. Then our mouths will be filled. Tzchoik with laughter. What's Yitzchak's name? Tzchoik, laughter. That's the laughter. And that's, the, that's, what the, that's what's going to be playing Kinar of the eighth dimension. The transcendental, infinite light of God is going to cause such laughter. That's Yitzchak. We're only going to laugh after we finish the whole Avodah. How does Yaakov going to... Now how is Yaakov going to complete this rectification? How is Yaakov going to complete this rectification? And fixing the seven... And where does he get the number eight? So you can say the number eight is automatically reveals itself. Why does it reveal itself when you finish correcting the seven? It's because embedded in the dark side of nature, embedded in the darkest things in this world are the sparks of that number eight, of the eighth dimension, of the infinite dimension of God. It's not there in the world of holiness. It's buried deep in the klipa. And only when you dig through all that rubble and all that stuff and push away the darkness and extract the hidden diamond that's there does Yaakov get to number eight. Where is the eighth Yutke Vavke? Yitzchak has it. How is Yaakov going to get it? Here's the secret. Yaakov has a brother by the name of Esav. 
And his brother Esau is a total mess. He's a such a ferocious human being, you can't even deal with the guy is like totally. And Hasidus says that interesting thing it says. Let's take a look at Esau's name. Esau's name, the gematria of his name, Ayin Shin Vav. 376 is Esau. 376. What is the 376 composed of? So Rapinchas Baal HaHafolo, one of the great Hasidic masters, students of the Mizritcha Magid, says that Esav, he says you have to break up like this, 350 from his name comes from seven times the word Tameh. Tameh is Tes Mem Aleph. Tes Mem Aleph. Mem is 40. Aleph is 1. 41. Tes is 9. Tes Mem Aleph. 49 plus 1 is 50. Tameh is Gematria 50. 7 times Tameh. 350. So Esav is 350. Seven, five, why seven times Tameh? Because if, if Hashem made Zel God made, within the natural world, God made the holy side and the unholy side. Here, this is, is crazy. There's seven Midos. There are seven Midos. Seven divine emotional attributes. Those seven emotional attributes have its holy manifestation and its unholy manifestation. So Esav is the root Esau, right, is the root of these seven, he has these seven powers of klipa, of unholiness. But at his core, he's also Yitzchak's son. So at his core, he is also Yitzchak's son. You know what he has in his nucleus? One Yudke Vavke is buried inside of him. Yitzchak's name is Gematria eight times, Yudke Vavke. He inherits it to his children. Seven of them, seven of them go to who? Go to Yaakov. One of them goes to his son Esav. But Esav is surrounded with seven, seven powers of Tumah, seven powers of impurity. Every seven emotion, corrupted love, corrupted um, um, gvura discipline, corrupted, it's anger and murderous and so on and so forth. Victory, all the powers of the seven of the unholy, it's all engulfing Esau. But Yaakov can't go to Mashiach without his brother Esau. He has to fix him. So when they have that little encounter, what happens? Yaakov runs towards Esau and he bows down seven times. Strange thing. He runs and he bows and then he bows again and then he bows again. So the Talmud says that one of the, there was one time in the shul, there was a, 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 a um, demon. There was a shul, it was a haunted house. It's the season of haunted home houses now, right? So there was, there was a haunted house, and, the, and it was a shul, and everybody was terrified because there, there was a ghost, there was a demon that was there that was, and he would appear as a seven-headed monster, and they were terrified. So there was a great sage, his name was Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi, that was his name. And he, um, 
And he, he uh, I think it was Rabbi Yaakov ben Maybe it was Rabbi Yaakov. No, I think it was Rabbi Yaakov ben And he was a, a, a big tzaddik. And they decided that they're not going to tell him about it. He came to town and they kind of invited him to go to shul. And they knew that it wouldn't harm him. And he came into the shul unknown to him and he started praying and the monster approached. And he was just davening. And every time he bowed, he knocked off one of the heads of that monster. Until it was dead completely. So the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, says, his name was Rabbi Yaakov. So he's, an, he's, he's related to Yaakov Avinu. And he followed what his grandfather Yaakov did. He also was faced with the seven-headed beast. And every time he bowed, he chopped off another layer of that, of that muck covering up the true inner heart nucleus of Asa. And what does it say? He bows seven times, Ad Gishtai, until he approaches as Achiv, his brother. Is the amazing thing? He bowed seven times until he approached his brother. Because by the time he was done bowing seven times and peeling off those seven, those seven layers, Esav was exposed. The true Esav was exposed. exposed. And who's the true Esav? Where Esav is a brother because he is the, he is the eighth Yutke Vavke that's needed. The eighth time of, of the, 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 the tetragrammaton of Yutke Vavke that is needed in order for Yaakov to have all eight. And now we have the eight lights of the menorah of Hanukkah, or the eight days of... We have the light of Mashiach. We have Oz Yomolei Schoik Pinu. We have the laughter that's going to be Oz, that's going to be in the future. So Yaakov has no other way, only taking his brother Esau. And that's why, what did the sages say? Well, again, the Pasuk, another Pasuk I mentioned earlier. Oz Ahapach El That's the conversion of the nations. When eight, eight, I'm going to convert the nations. On the number eight is when the nations are going to be converted. How are the nations going to be converted? Through Esau being flipped over. Once Esau is flipped over, he's going to flip all the nations. Only Esau can flip the nations because he's the root of all the nations. And when he will be flipped, they will all be flipped. Joining Yaakov seven, together we will have the bright world of Mashiach of number eight. So now we're beginning to get some kind of an appreciation of what does it mean to be in the year. What does it mean to be in the year? Here are these numbers, 5780, where the 8 follows the 7. Do you realize what's going on here? 8 and 7. We're hitting number 8. Makes a lot of sense that quantum computer suddenly is, is, is announced right now when we hit number 8. Makes a lot of sense that this Baghdadi guy was just killed the other day and ISIS is done, finished. It also explains about a lot what's going on in Washington right now that no one is like just in the last couple of years which you can't understand otherwise. Like what is happening? Why is all this balagan? What's this, suddenly this madness that's going on? Why is the world not being able to settle with the person that's kind of leading the country? What's going on? Who is he? What's this whole business? Why is he suddenly such good friends with Israel? Why is his daughter a religious Jewish woman who goes to synagogue on Sukkot with her husband? Like wow, the most powerful person in the world. How come the whole world is going crazy with him? How come they can't deal with him? Well, if he's Yaakov's brother Esav, who's a maniac, who's a total meshuganer and lunatic, but at the same time has the power of redemption in him, who is going to help Yaakov build the Beis Amigdash and the future redemption, well, it makes all perfectly sense. The impeachment process, the whole situation, and why every, or else you can go crazy. You don't know what to do with yourself anymore. It doesn't seem like, like what's happening? 
Well, we're hitting number eight. This is, this is it. We're at that point already. The nations will be converted. Everything will convert. And Esav was never, as I spoke so many times, a refined. Even when he'll be converted, he's not converted as a refined uh, gentleman. He's converted as he is Esav, but he becomes an ally to holiness and to Kedusha. And this is it. And we're seeing this with our own eyes as we are entering. And whatever we saw in the years of the sevens, which were till now, was only a tidy little prelude to what we're going to see. And Baruch Hashem, Shabbos Bereshis, Matzah Shabbos Bereshis, we get the news, the final, uh, you know, nail in the coffin on ISIS, which, 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 which was a menace to the world, they're out, finished. In other words, we're starting off now on the right foot. We're so ready for Mashiach. Just included in these prophecies of the future related to number eight, as I said before, Oz Yiranenu, then they will sing. So we spoke about Oz Yamoli's Chaik Pinu, because then we're going to reach Yitzchak's laughter. Yitzchak is number eight. We explained the Pasik, Oz Ahapachal Amam, I'm going to convert the nations. Because the way to reach Yitzchak is only through converting the nations, which is the power of eight, because Yitzchak, because Esav has got the. the why Oz Yamoli's Chaik Pinu? Why Oz Tismach? Once that light, that transcendental light, and we have the eighth note, boy, is it going to make us dance. And how are we going to dance? With a circle. Because it's, this is the infinite en energy. And when, you're, and when you're in an infinite, when you're experiencing the infinite, your dance is an infinite dance. And what else? I said earlier, that's when the trees of the forest are going to sink. So the Zohar says an interesting thing, or the Medrash says an interesting thing. What is this referring to? The trees of the forest are going are to sing. Who are these trees that are going to sing? Well, they're going to sing when Mashiach comes, but they, just like we said before, the Uz is really futuristic, but it already flashed when we went out of Egypt and we got the Torah. We had a flash already of Uz to the point that we sang Uz, Uz Yashir Moshe. And all the elements of eight, and it came to its powerful realization by the building of the Mishkan. When we built the, the tabernacle. Well, the Midrash says, then they will sing the trees of the forest, was when they took the wooden beams and they put them into the sockets. You know, when they built the Mishkan, they had these Karashim, these beams. They had 48 of these beams and they had 96 sockets and when they slipped because each beam had two pegs at the bottom of wood and they, when they slipped the beams into the sockets the, be the wood was singing all the trees and all the forests of the world sang a song on that day everybody was singing the world was so happy why? there's another explanation in the significance of number 8 the marriage of the cosmos, the ultimate union between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah, the powerful fusion of God with the world, is number eight. Why? There are four letters in Yud Kei Vav Kei. Yud Kei Vav Kei. There are four letters in other name of a God called Aleph Talid Nun Yud. 
Adna, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, four letters. Number eight represents the fusion of Yud, K, Vav, K, and Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. You have eight letters of God's name. What's the significance of this fusion? Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud represents the Shekhinah. The word Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud means Adonai, which means my Lord. God as he is a master over the creation. God as he is a source of the creation. That's the Shekhinah energy. The name Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud is associated with the name Elohim. They're both representing the divine energy that's within the creation. Havaya, Yudke, Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, the Yud, the He, the Vav, is transcendental light. That represents HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the masculine, the infinite. Our entire point in Judaism of all the mitzvot that we do, we say it every day when we start davening, L'Shem Yichud, we're here to make a unity. L'Shem Yichud, Kutsheberichu Ushechintei. We want to unify HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yudke, Vavke, with... Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. When we're doing a mitzvah, we fuse the two together. Why? We and the object with which we're doing the mitzvah are derived from Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. We're part of the Shekhinah. Everything in this world is created by Shekhinah light, Shekhinah energy. The mitzvah is whose commandment? It's the will and the desire of the infinite. So the mitzvah itself is yutke vavke. When we are doing a mitzvah, we're fusing the energy of yutke vavke, the infinite, with aleph, dalid, nun, yud. We're bringing it together. And when we finish doing all the mitzvahs, we have number eight, oz yamole schaik pinu, because we have the four letters and the four letters merged together, we have number eight, eight letters. We have the infinite light that's beyond creation, beyond time and space, saturating time and space, which is Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. Yud, Kevavke, Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. Now let's take a look. What were the sockets called in Hebrew, in the Torah? Parshas Truma, let's go ahead. They're called Adonim. One more time. The sockets, which are the recipients, which have like a space, a cavity inside. They are called Adonim. Adonim means sockets. But Adonim is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. Adon. That's the Shekhinah. That's the receptacle. That's the world. And what are these Krushim? The Krushim are the woods. That's Yud, Ke, That is now being inserted into Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. What happens then? You have number eight. Oz, Yerananu. Then they're singing. Kolatzeyar. All the trees of the forest. Because the Abish, the Basi Legami. God is happy that he's coming into the world. He's getting into his house. So he is singing. So the trees are singing. It's this fusion. And again, where do we stand today? Tafshin Pei. 5780. It's even deeper than that. Because as I mentioned, it's not just that it's 80. We're also in the eighth it's we're in the eighth century. Follow? 57. In the year 5700, we completed the seven centuries of in the sixth millennium. And we're hitting right now into and, and, and in the year 1940 is when we went into the 8th millennia, 8th century, 
8th century. But now we're hearing within the 8th century, the 8th decade, or actually we're completing the 8th decade. So we're hitting 80. It's unbelievable. The power of 8 is so palpable. It's so strong. It's so infinite. It's like, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable year for the highest, most powerful, most incredible revelations to happen. Baruch Hashem, we're seeing already the beginning of it. Now I want to turn the whole discussion to another significant, amazing thing that's related to this year, related to this week's parsha, Parshas Noach. And that is the significance of number three. I opened up the class today by telling you that Parshas Noach is the second parsha in the Torah. And Parshas Lech Lecha, which is the beginning of the Jewish story, Avram Avinu, and this covenant he makes with God, and where Avram Avinu is introduced to number eight. In the end of Parshas Lech Lecha, he's given the mitzvah of bris milah, which is on the eighth day. It's all in the end of Parshas Lech Lecha. So the end, in a sense, you can say like this. This is a thought that just occurred to me as I'm talking to you. The number three, as we'll see in a moment, is the number of tikkun. Three comes to fix the chaos of number two. Number two represents chaos and, 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 and madness. If anything, like Esau is number two and Yaakov is number three. That's why Yaakov was the third of our patriarchs. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Number three. So when we get to the third parsha in the Torah, which by the way cons is consistent with time as well, because Parshas Bereshis is the first thousand years. Parshas Noach is the second thousand years. It's when the flood happened and the dispersion happened. Chaos, the inability to get along, complete destruction. Shvira Sakelim, shattering of the vessels. Olam Hatohu, the world of chaos, which we discussed many times. It's all the process of, first there is oneness, then there is a breakup. One is oneness. Two is when, when the details start emerging and they start clashing with each other and then everything just shatters and breaks. That's that broken, shattered world manifested in Parshas Noach when the world gets broken. And that's the mabel, the force that shatters the world and breaks it. And we get to Parshas Lech Lecha, the third Parsha, and who emerges then, the first Jew, the Jews are all about tikkun, that's why you speak to any Jew, and even if they're not religious, they don't know anything about Judaism, they have a very strong sense of tikkun olam. They have to do something to fix the world. Not necessarily every human has such a conviction that they're responsible for the world. Jews have that, that conviction. Even if they didn't learn Torah, they have the conviction they have to fix. Torah gives us guidance on how the best way to fix the world. But every June feels he has to fix because we're grandchildren of Avram Avinu who comes, makes his debut into the world exactly in the beginning of the third millennium, at the year 2000. Avram Avinu was born actually 48 years before that. He was 48 years, I think, uh, it's different, 48 years at the time when the world hit the year 2000 and we entered into the third millennium. So that's Parshas Lech Lecha. Parshas Lech Lecha is the beginning of the process of number three, which is the process of tikkun to fix and to correct. And this tikkun of fixing and correcting, where does it lead to? 
when we correct and apply number three to bring peace and harmony and synthesis to the shattered pieces of number two, where there's conflict, to bring peace and to unify and to bring everything together, what do we get to? What's the conclusion of Parshas Lech Lecha? Number eight reveals itself. And what's number eight? The bris milah, the covenant. And what happens the moment Avram does his bris? What happens the moment? The next parsha, the fourth parsha, parsha's vayera, God reveals himself. Which revel- and it was so hot. Remember, it was so hot. Why was it so hot? Because that's the revelation of Mashiach. It says when Mashiach will come, it will be very hot. Then get scared. It says well, Hashem will take the sun out of its sheath, which means God will be completely revealed. Global warming. There will be a powerful revelation of Hashem. And who is born then? That's why people are so terrified. It's global warming. They're not realizing. It's this powerful heat, the revelation of the Ein Sof, of God. Again, the, 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 the spiritual side of it. I'm not talking about the, the scientific element of it. But everything in physics, everything in the world is the reflection of the spiritual. But who was born right then? The Malachim come and, and they tell... And Sarah laughs. Why? But the Tzachak Sarah, Sarah laughs. Why does she laugh? Oz Right at that encounter, right after the bris mila. Number eight was just revealed. We just had, Avram had his bris, which relates, even though Avram had it at 99, but it relates already to the power of number eight. That's what the whole idea of bris mila is. So there is laughter by Sarah. And what happens immediately after that? She has the promise that in a year from now, Yitzchak will be born. And then there's laughter in the whole world. That's Mashiach. You have everything. It all happens, but you need to have the power of number three, which is the power of tikkun, to fix the chaos of number two. So we find in the Jewish people an interesting thing, that number three is very, very significant. When did the power of tikkun start? Adam, Adam, in his life, he represents number one before there was any fragmentation. Even though he sinned, but in general, the first thousand years, it's a certain oneness. It's still permeating all of existence. The second millennia, the time of Noah, is where everything gets fragmented and broken and collapses. And you have the world denigrates and denigrates and denigrates and falls to the point where it almost looks like it's unrepairable. And then at that very dark moment, Avram appears, number three. He's beginning to repair. So where does the repair really start? It starts right after the flood. So Noah has three sons to rebuild humanity. Shem, Cham, and Yafes. The oldest one is Yafes. Shem is actually number two, not number three. Cham is number three. But from Shem and onward, Shem has three, three sons. Let me share with you in the end, this is a story that's mentioned in the end of this week's parsha. Shame has three sons, and his three sons are Elam, Ashur, and his third, his third son is Arpachshad. Now, this Arpachshad is going to be the father of Abraham. He's the father of, Arpachshad has Sholach, Sholach has Aver, and Aver gives, bor- gives birth to, let me go further, 
we continue the whole story. Um, Aver gives birth to Peleg. Peleg has a son, Ru. Ru has a son, Srug. Srug has a son, Nochor. And Nochor has a son, Terach. And the rest is history. We have Avram. Okay? So, our Pachshad is really, is really key to this power of Tikkun. The fixing. Fixing the shattered, broken world. So let me just take a look. I want to share with you an interesting uh, teaching from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, about the power of tikkun that starts right after the mabal, right after the mabal. He says it's interesting. The Torah doesn't relate anybody, any time when they're born. Um, it just says the people gave birth, but it doesn't say when they were born. When our Pachshad is born, it says... Um, Ela told a shame, shame be meyashana, shame be maashana, shame was a hundred years old, vayodas a pachshad, shinasayim achara mabel, two years after the mabel. He says, what's the significance? It's the only place where it relates when the baby, which year he was born, two years after the mabel. Two other ones, it just says how many years they lived till they had a son, but it doesn't say a date. So he explains over there Kabbalistically, which I'm not going to get into right now, that two years, the period of two years, is a period for, for olam ha-tikkun to take effect. For tikkun to take effect, tikkun means rectification, a two-year period is the period of time in which we can transition from chaos to order. Tikkun is order. It's a two-year period. He says, where do you see that? Yosef, when he was released from jail, Yosef is the beginning also of the world of tikkun which is discussed in other places. Yosef was released in jail. Vayhimi Kates, Shinasayim Yomim. It was after two years that Yosef... Yosef was actually in prison 12 years, but the Torah relates to after a two-year period. Because he says the world of Tohu, it's just a little, a little esoteric stuff, but bear with me, Nishkeferlach. It's okay, Mashiach is coming, so we're going to get you custom... To, to thinking, we're going to be doing quantum computing. So you mentioned earlier, we need to get used to crunching numbers quickly. So don't, it's not, it's not, shouldn't intimidate anybody. But he says, Shinasayim, two years after the two years, he says, we find is the number where the world of Tohu was, is dominated by extreme powers of din, of judgment. That's why you had the flood, and you had, it's Gevura, it's very, very harsh. That's why Esav, who comes from the world of Toh, was a murderer, was a killer, was a monster. It's all, it's all gevura. It's very intense. So, um, two years, he says, is the period where you, where you can begin the process of sweetening and softening that harshness. And he brings an interesting thing. He says, you see, it's from a mother nursing. When a mother nurses, the period, the nursing period is a, is a two-year period. The Torah sees the, 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 the period until you wean your child off from nursing after two years. When Yitzchak, two years, everything is two years of nursing. Halachically also, uh, uh, when the, 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 I was just learning the halachas regarding to the woman's obligation uh, to nurse. She has an obligation to her husband to nurse the child. How long? Two years. 
What's the significance? The woman, when the woman is pregnant, she's a lot of gavura inside of her. A lot of gavura. Then when she gives birth, all that gavura will get suddenly transitioned into kindness. So the sages say that the, a woman's milk is really her blood, because during the time that she's nursing, she's not having a period. So what's really happening is that the Gemara says, the blood is becoming milk. Now, I don't know, that again, I'm not talking medical science, but it's this power, I don't know, the, the hormones or whatever it is that, that, that produces it, but it's taking the blood and turning it into milk. Now, everybody can understand that milk is white and nutritious and represents chesed and kindness and growth and expansion and blood is red, intense gavura. So the ultimate transformation from gavura, from tohu to tikkun, from, from, from the intensity of, 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 of the harshness of the dam to make it to make that's why he says that's a shinasayim yamin. Who comes right after um, the marble from shame? Who shame is going to be the first beginning the seeds of tikkun? From him is going to come Avram Avinu. But shame, who comes from shame? The fellow by the name of Arpachshad, which the name Arpachshad is actually the gematria of the word Arpachshad. Is 605. Which 605 is the word haras. Hayom haras olam. Haras means pregnant. So the pregnancy, and also Rosh Hashanah, which is the day that the world, the new world is impregnated. There's a new world, haras, pregnancy. Rosh Hashanah is the day of harsh judgments. We have to sweeten those judgments. Arpachshad, he said, is the name of the beginning, the beginning, we're starting now the process of fixing this intense gavura, which is the root and the, and the problem with the world of tohu. It needs to be sweetened. It needs to be mellowed. Therefore, he says an interesting thing. If you take a look, so in addition to this, that Arpachshad is born two years after the collapse, two years at the ultimate climaxing of tohu, where Tob goes totally bonkers. The world is completely exploded. Everything is a total opposite of Tikkun. Total chaos. Two year period afterwards, we had already the beginning of things calming down. So Arpachshad, in his name, he has all that intensity because he's Gamatria Haras, the pregnancy. He takes all that, but it's after two years. So it's sweetened. So he says, take a look. You look into the name of Arpachshad, it's an interesting idea where you will see that in his name you have all the intense Gevuros. And here we go. Gevura, the Gevuros are related to the words par. Anybody that's learned a little bit of Hasidus, Kabbalah knows the idea. 280, 280. Is gematria par, peresh. That's the sum total of the concentration of all powers of gavura. Why? There are five letters in the aleph base that are double letters: mem, nun, tzaddik, pe, chaf. 
five letters called Menatzbach. Mem nun tzadik peichov. These five letters are related to the power of din, of gevura. That's why we put them where? At the end of a word. They're, these are circuit breakers. They break something. They, they stop their, their power of restraint. We put them at the end. So if you take mem and nun and tzadik and pei and chav, and you do the gematria, you get 280. Menatzbach is 280. Mem and nun is 90. Tzadik is another 90, is 180. Chaf is 20, is, is 200. Pay is 280. So par, that's why when we want to fix death, which comes from the intensity of gevura, of the world of tohu, of the shattering, the world of tohu is called death. That's why it says, vayomas, they died, king after king. The world of tohu is all about, uh. so how do we fix death? We use a para aduma, a red, par, because par is the sum total of all the gevuras. So in the name Ar Pachshad, Ar, which is the son, which is the great grandfather of Amram, you have the word Pach, which is the five gevuras. Now in Kabbalah and Chasidus, it also says there's another number that is associated with the five gevuras. Another number. What's the other number that's associated with the five gevuras? Shinchaf. 320. Why? Because five times the word din, din is 64. Nun, dalid, yud. Din is 64. Din means judgment. There are five judgments, five powers of Gavura, five fingers of the left hand, five powers of Gavura. Five times din is 320. It's called in Kabbalah, you will always find it, shach dinim. 320 dinim, powers of judgment. The name Arpachshad has par and shach in it. It's got all the judgments. Then there's another indication of the five judgments. The five letters of the name Elohim. Aleph, Lamed, He, Yud, Mem. Five letters. So in the name Arpachshad, you have an Aleph, and a Dalet, that's the other five. So you have Aleph and Dalet, five. You have Par, which are the five end letters that are Dinim, and you have Shach. So what you really have is a concentration of all those Dinim, but right now it's Shnosayim Achara Mabel. It's two years after the Mabel, it's the nursing period. We're taking all that intensity of blood that was in the first, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the second millennium. There was so much blood. There was so much bloodshed. There was so much ferocious. Humans weren't kind, capable of kindness. There was war and animosity and hatred and abuse and all of that. And Avram Avinu, who is the grandson of Arpachshad, is going to start that process of tikkun. Through what? The number three. Number three harmonizes. So we find from our forefathers who is the chosen one to do the work. We spoke how great Yitzchak is. But who is chosen to actually do the work? It's Yaakov, the third. From Yaakov's children, who is chosen to work in the temple? To be amongst the Jewish people? The third one. His name is Levi. From those who brought us to them, we got the Torah. When was the Torah given to us? In the third millennium. When was the Torah given to us? Bachodesh Hashlishi in the third month, 
from when we went out of Egypt, the third month. Nisan, E.R. Sivan. When was it given to us? On the third day, Hashem says, Be prepared for the third day. The Torah itself is divided into three parts. Torah, Nevi'im, Uksuvim. The Torah, the five books of Moshe, Nevi'im, the prophets, Ksuvim, the writings. The Jewish people who received the Torah are divided into three groups. The Israelites, the Israelim, the Levites, the Levi'im, the Kohanim. Three, three, and three. It was given to us through Moshe, was the mediator. And who was Moshe? The third in his family. Aaron, Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. Everything is three. Tikkun is number three. There is the reason why this year is such an incredible, incredible incredible year. I was going to say much more about this. But I'm just going to leave it by this. It's such an incredible year because we are this year, and I, I, this I didn't say on my own, but we were just speaking about this by the Kiddush the other day, and there was a beautiful Yid, Yosef from Argentina. I don't know his last name. He told us a beautiful story about his own life. Maybe if he's going to hear, maybe if he's going to hear the, the Shear, which I know he listens so maybe he's going to hear the shir. He's going to he's going to he's going to send me an email or something of his last name. I want to give him credit, but he was here with celebrating with us. So after I spoke about the significance of this year being three, and number thirty-three represents, by the way, double three. Number thirty-three represents the sweetening of all judgments, number 33. That's why I'm going I'm to share with you very quickly what we find happens on the 33rd day. Because thir 33 represents threes in the tens and threes in the single digits. That's why it's a, it's a number that has to do with sweetening of judgments. That's why the students of Rabbi Akiva were dying until the 33rd day and they stopped dying. That's Lag Baomer. They stopped dying on the 33rd day. When a woman gives birth to a boy, she has a 33-day period after her son is born, only by a boy. By a girl, it's actually double. But by a boy, it's 33 days, in which all the blood that she sees, if she bleeds during that time, that blood does not cause her to be considered ritually impure. That means the blood that usually brings impurity doesn't make her impure. She's tahar if she's bleeding. All of her blood. Why? Same idea like the blood turning to milk. Same idea. When blood, which usually represents harsh dinim, judgments, which therefore bring about the idea of the lack of purity, now it's pure. Which number? 33. Esther, when Esther wanted to annul the decree of Ahasuerus, when it was made a horrible decree from Haman, which Haman is also the source of tohu, of the world of judgment and the world of he was the biggest prosecutor ever. He's the Satan himself, Haman. So Esther said to Mordechai, pray for me for three days and I'm going to go see the king. And on the third day she went. But it's really the 33rd day because she told Mordechai, I haven't been called for 30 days. The king didn't call me for 30 days. Therefore, you know, anybody that goes close can get into trouble. And I have not been called to the king for 33 days. 
sorry, for 30 days. And now she makes up, Mordechai said, you have to go anyways. So she said, pray for me and I will go on the third day. So if you take the 30 days that she has not seen the king, and now another three days, and we know who the king is ultimately. The king is God. She waits for the 33rd day and then she goes, because on that day you can sweeten all the judgments. And King David, David HaMelech, was king in Jerusalem 33 years. That's the amount of time he was king in Yerushalayim. And there's a lot of secrets related to that. But not to get into all of that, but just bear with me. I mentioned, and this is something really, really beautiful. This year, we began the year with 33 days of holiness. Uninterrupted holiness. We never have such a setting. Only when Rosh Hashanah comes out on a Monday can we have such a setting. Because we started with Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. Shabbos, Mavorchem, Tishrei. It was a holy day. Then we had Sunday, which was a regular day. And Monday, Tuesday was holy. But we know in halacha that whenever you have a gap and the gap is less than three, it's considered closed. Once you have three, it's considered open. Less than three is still considered closed. So if Shabbos is a holy day, and then you had Sunday, which isn't holy, but Monday is holy, so Monday closes it. So now you have four holy days. Shabbos, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Rosh Hashanah. Hey, then we have three days that it wasn't holy. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But thank God for Torah. Torah says that you're not allowed to start Shabbos on time. You have to give it a few extra minutes. It's a halacha. You're not allowed to wait for sunset. You have to at least keep Shabbos a minute before sunset. The holy Jewish women give it 18 minutes. But you're supposed to start it, at, even for men, at least a minute before. You can't wait till Shkia. Toast for Shabbos. You have to add on to Shabbos. So in a, being that you're adding on, so you don't let Friday continue, you invite Shabbos in early. So that three-day gap, which could have broke the holiness, was closed. So we had four days, five, six, seven, eight, and it was Shabbos. Okay, so far we have eight days of holiness. Shabbos Shuvah, the Shabbos of Shuvah. Then we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, which wasn't holy, but Wednesday was Yom Kippur, but there were three days, but again... By Yom Kippur, your obligation to add from the weekday to Shabbos to Yom Kippur is even of greater halachic importance than on a Shabbos. It's actually biblical commandment that Yom Kippur you're supposed to add a little piece of the ninth day to the eighth day. Ah, so the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday are not devoid of holiness because a little piece of Tuesday gets broken away and joins Yom Kippur. So you don't have full three days again. So how many days did we have? We had eight 9, 10, 11, 12, till Yom Kippur, 12 days. Then Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, another three days is 15 days. Then Sunday was Erev Sukkot, and Monday, so that's a 15, 16 is Erev Sukkot. Monday, Tuesday, 17, 18. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was the intermediate days, even if you're going to say they're weekday, they're not really weekday, but even if you'll say they're weekday, but again, it's less than three days, it's three, but you add to Shabbos. So what do we have? 16, 17, what do we have? What are we holding here? Are we holding by 18 already? What are we holding? Huh? 20 if you include Shabbos. There you go. Then Sunday was again not, was again, uh, this and then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is how many? 23, right? 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is 20, no, 21, 22, 23. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos is another four. Is what? 27. No, I, I mixed up. I got to start all over again. Let's do it quickly. Now, I, I, I'm, without the explaining, okay? Shabbos was, the, was, was, was introducing the new month, okay? Shabbos was Shabbos. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday was Rosh Hashanah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos was Shabbos Shuva. Um, uh, Sunday was, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday was Erev Yom Kippur. Um, Wednesday is what? Yom Kippur, so it's how many, how, where am I holding? Um, 12. And then, yeah, 12. And then um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is what? Uh, um, Wednesday is Yom Kippur. Thursday, uh, um, you know what? I'm not going to have to do it. The whole Tishrei was full, and then let, let's conclude it. Today is Sunday, and Rosh Chodesh is going to be Tuesday and Wednesday. You count all the days, you have exactly 33 days. Take out your calendar, including the second day, Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is not a regular day. You have 33 days of holiness. If we ever had to take any bit of blood, if any, there was any type of gvura that is still there in the cosmos, that is still left over from the world of Tohu, that has not been fixed this year, it's converted into kosher, kosher blood. There's no, there's no dinem, there's nothing left. And you know what's so amazing this year? This year we're hitting not just 30, again, it's very unique. It can't happen only when it's set this way. But what's really cool is that this year, Pesach, it's going to be 3,332 years from when we left Egypt, the year 2448, which means Pesach, we're entering into the 3,333 years from, where, from when the Torah was given. Since the whole idea of Torah is to introduce Tikkun, number three, into the world of two, and you have 3,300, sorry, 3,333 years, which means we're concluding 3,000. 332, and we're entering into the three, in the year Tavshin Pei. Wow! This is Giyula, this, 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 on every level. And there's where the eights come. Tavshin Pei. So, it's magnificent. It's unbelievable. We're so there. Now it's just important for all of us to open up our eyes to the power of the Gula, to the light of the Gula, and to realize, Hinei, Hinei, Moshiach Ba. Let's be ready. Let's do another mitzvah. Let's be besimcha. Let's start acting like Mashiach is here already with love and kindness and selflessness and goodness and caring and uh, most of all joy. That's the most important. And laughter. We should all see that great light now, now, and now.